بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد So right now we are studying the 35th hadith and we said that Shaykh Abdul Muhsin Abbas explanation to this hadith is divided into four parts the last part being a summary of the benefits so in this hadith, the Messenger alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, لا تحاسدوا ولا تناجشوا ولا تباغضوا ولا تدابروا ولا يبيع بعضكم على بيع بعض And that's the part where we stopped at last session. Don't have hasad between each other. Don't practice nudge between yourselves, artificially inflating the prices. Don't hate one another. Don't turn your backs to each other. And don't enter upon the business transaction of each other. So now the Messenger, والسلام, he said, do not have hasad. What is hasad? What is hasad? Envy. What's the, what's the definition of al-hasad? What's the definition of it? In your own words, based upon what we covered last week. What do you wish? What do you? What happens to the heart when he is experiencing this hasad, this envy, Sheikh Ahmed? That's right. Al hasad, it is to hate Allah's blessing being manifest upon someone else. Al hasad. Envy, in the Islamic sense of the word, is that you hate to see the blessing of Allah manifest upon somebody else. And then as a result of that, you wish that that blessing cease to exist upon that person. That is what al-hasad is. How about if you see Allah's blessing upon somebody else? And you wish you had that blessing as well. However, you don't hate the fact that he's enjoying that blessing. How about if you saw your brother and he's driving a nice car. You wanted that car as well. You saw him driving a nice Citroen C4 Picasso. You want that car as well. Is that hazard now? As long as it's the case that you're not hating the fact that he has that blessing is that hasad it's not hasad it's not hasad so it's no problem ikhwan. you can have citron c4 picasso it's not hasad it's hasad when you hate the fact that he has that blessing you hate the fact that he has that particular blessing from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when it's the case that you merely want what he has without hating the fact that he has it that's called ghibta that's called ghibta. It's the type of jealousy, for a lack of better terms, that isn't dispraised. It's the type of jealousy whereby you want what somebody else has, or you may want more than what he has. However, you don't hate the fact that he's enjoying the blessing, and you don't wish that that blessing ceases, uh, ceases upon him. 
Tamam. Another point Sheikh Uthameen's mentioned is that how about when it is the case that jealousy or this hasad, this jealousy, this envy, it enters upon the person's heart, however he is trying to repel it. So you see that somebody has a certain blessing, he has a nice house, and this feeling in your heart has entered, this feeling of disliking the fact that your Muslim brother, he has this nice house. The feelings entered into your heart, but you're trying to fight it off. You're trying to fight it off. You're trying to push it away. You're trying to re repel it. And you are not transgressing against that brother of yours. You're not transgressing against that sister of yours. In this situation, are you taken to account? Are you held accountable? MashaAllah, Alhamdulillah, we have a fatwa here now. From Sheikh Ridwan. Sheikh Ridwan, صح? I got it right today, huh? Oh, MashaAllah, قد وافق فتوى Sheikh Sheikh Ridwan مع Sheikh فتوى Sheikh Uthaymeen. Sheikh Ridwan's fatwa, it has coincided with the fatwa of Sheikh Uthaymeen. أصبت بارك الله فيك. نعم, Sheikh Uthaymeen, he said لا يؤاخذ. He is not taken to account. Right? If you have this feeling entering into your heart that you dislike so-and-so, he has such-and-such a blessing, but you're trying to fight it off, and you're not transgressing against him, you're not making fun of him, you're not trying to belittle him, you're not trying to do something that's going to lower his status, for example, you're not transgressing against him. You're fighting off that feeling, then you're not held accountable. لَكِنَّهُ لَيْسَ فِي حَالِ الْكَمَالِ However, Shaykh Uthaymeen, he said, that person isn't in a, is not in a state of kamal. It's not, he's not in a state of perfection. That which is, that which is complete, and that which is, that which is great, and that which is, that which is matloob and sought, is that a person does not have that feeling. Person does not have that feeling. However, if it's the case that the person does end up having that feeling, and he's trying to push it away, and he's not transgressing against the person, then he's not going to be held accountable. He is not going to be held accountable. But that which is the greatest and the best is that a person, he doesn't have that feeling. Tamam. Another point that they mentioned, the ulama they mentioned concerning al-hasad is generally al-hasad occurs between aqran. It occurs between contemporaries in a certain field. So generally speaking, you'll find that as far as, for example, business is concerned, when business is concerned and money is concerned and wealth is concerned, you'll find that it will usually be people who are engaged in business that are going to be having hasad between themselves. When it is the case that ilm, ilm is concerned, ilm al-shari, Islamic knowledge, you'll find those people that are preoccupied in the study of Islamic knowledge, that if, if hasad is occurring, it's hasad that he has because of the fact that he's occupied in the same field as well. He's occupied in the field of Islamic studies, and thus he has this hasad concerning somebody else that's occupied in the same study. A Najjar, a carpenter, for example, if he has hasad, uh, or a, a carpenter that is mahsood, 
a carpenter that is envied, most likely he's envied by somebody who is in the same field. He's in the same field, same practice, the field of, of carpentry and joinery and so on and so forth. And then, and, you can go upon that example. Tamam. So that's one thing that the messenger told us not to do, not to have hasad between ourselves. If we have hasad, if I have hasad, I'm only harming myself. I'm only harming myself. Why? Because I, uh, what, when, I'm, uh, when I'm having hasad, what do I hate? I hate to see the blessing of Allah being manifest upon other people. And the blessing of Allah is something that is continuous. Wherever you go, whenever you go, wherever you are, you're going to see the blessing of Allah being manifest upon people. So you're torturing yourself. You're torturing yourself when it is the case that you hate to see the blessing of Allah being manifest upon somebody else because you're always going to see that. Wherever you go, wherever you are, whenever you, wherever it may be, whatever time it may be, you're going to find, whatever era it may be, you're going to find the blessing of Allah being manifested upon other people. So you're only harming yourself. You're only torturing, torturing yourself. Okay. Another point that Shaykh Uthameen, he has mentioned is that if it is the case, yeah, we'll mention that later actually. We'll mention that later. Tamam. Next, the Messenger, he prohibited, prohibited us from artificially inflating the prices. How does that occur? How does that occur? How does artificially inflating the prices occur? It can occur in two ways. Sheikh Ammar. Okay, so, so, okay, so what is it that you've done there? Why have you done it? Okay, so that's the first scenario. Whereby you artificially inflate the price in order to benefit your friend. You don't want to harm the person, but you're wanting to benefit your friend. Friend sells a bottle of water for one pound, somebody else, uh, and you come along and you say, I'll buy it for one pound fifty. Somebody else is about to buy it and you say, I'll buy it for one pound fifty. Right? So then in that particular circumstance, and you have no intent to genuinely purchase it. But the intent behind it was just to help your buddy, to help your friend. So that the price is, is, is inflated and thus he, he, he profits. So that's one scenario. You do it to benefit your friend. Second scenario is to harm, to harm the buyer, right? The person that is the businessman, the salesman, you've got nothing to do with him. He's not your friend. However, you want to harm the customer. So the customer comes along. He says, I'll buy this bottle for one pound. I'm going to buy this bottle for one pound. You come over and you say, I'll buy it for £1.50. Why? So that the customer then says, I'll buy it for £1.60. He has to pay extra. The intent behind it was to harm him. You had no intention of genuinely purchasing the bottle of water, but the intent behind it was to purchase, the, was to harm the customer. Father, next. Don't turn your backs towards one another. Don't turn your backs towards one another. Meaning, don't. Boycott each other. Don't boycott each other. This one comes along, he turns his face this, this way, he, and the other one turns his face the other way. They don't give each other salam and what have you. Don't boycott each other. Obviously, we know that there are exceptions. Ahl bid'ah, for example. Uh, Ahl bid'ah, there is no, there is no, yani, uh, 
those particular hukuk, those particular rights, they are not for them in terms of salam and what have you. Those that are called us to innovator, innovations, those that innovate within the religion, and the proof is established upon them, uh, concerning them, these particular hukuk aren't fulfilled. However, generally, as far as Muslims are concerned, they are not to be turning their back towards each other. And the Messenger, alayhi salatu wa salam, he said, وَلَا يَبِعْ بَعْضُكُمْ عَلَى بَيْعِ بَعْضٍ Yeah, there was one that we missed, sorry. وَلَا تَبَاغَضُوا وَلَا تَبَاغَضُوا Don't hate one another. Okay, question arises. The Messenger says, don't hate each other. What does that mean? Don't hate one another because the hate is the feeling that enters into a heart just like love is a feeling that enters into a person's heart and at times a person can't help it you can't help but have that feeling enter into your heart so what does that mean what does it mean don't hate each other meaning don't pursue those asbab those causes that will bring about hatred between you, between yourselves. Don't occupy yourselves and don't pursue those asbab, those means, those doorways that will lead to hatred between you. Hate may enter and a person may not have control over it. A person, so then what is the thing that is being prohibited? What is the thing that is haram? What is the thing that is sinful? A thing that is sinful is pursuing those doorways, those pathways, those ways and means that will lead to the hatred occurring. Shaykh Uthaymeen, he has said concerning this matter, when he explained this matter, that if it is the case, and he said that Bukht has its, has its asbab, and Mahabba, love, has its asbab, has its means, its doorways, its paths that lead to it. So if it is the case that something of hatred has happened in your heart towards your Muslim brother, then what you need to do is increase the asbab that will lead to you loving him. Right? Shaykh Uthameen, he says, for example, your Muslim brother does something that you don't like. He said something, he did something that you don't like, that you hate. So that feeling of bugh has entered into your heart. What do you now need to do? You, need, you, you now need to increase the asbab al-mahabba. You need to increase the doorways that will enter love for him in your heart up until the hatred has been ironed out. Up until the hatred has vanished. The hatred has gone. So the, so the Shaykh, he said, for example, your brother does something you don't like, and that nasty feeling of hatred has now entered into your heart. What you should do now is increase in mentioning good things about him. Right? Think about his good things. Think about his positive traits. Think about them, allow them to enter into your heart, verbally mention them to others, and do so up until that feeling of hatred, it departs your heart. So the feeling entering into your heart, that, feel, that feeling you're not sinful for. 
you're sinful for pursuing those roads and those means and those avenues that will lead you to hating your Muslim brothers. Leave those things off. Otherwise, you'll hate your Muslim brother. If the feeling does enter into your heart, then repel that feeling, iron that feeling out by uh, doing those things that will enter love for your brother into your heart. For example, mentioning his good qualities. Tamam. And likewise, the messenger said the fifth part was, the fifth point within this first part of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin's explanation was, that don't enter upon the business transaction of your Muslim brother. How does that happen? How does that happen? Can somebody explain what, what, what this means? Entering upon the business transaction of your Muslim brother. What does that mean? Hmm. What does that mean? If someone has agreed to buy something, for example, like a house, and you go and you, huh? you go, it's called gazumping in English. Okay. Okay. There you go. So when you do this new word to my vocabulary, when you gazump, when you gazump your Muslim brother, that is considered some of you entering upon the business transaction of the other. You have somebody, he's about to purchase a house, they've agreed, and then you come and you say, I will buy it off you for a better price, for example. Or you come up to the customer and you say to the customer, I'll sell you a house for a cheaper price. Or I'll sell you a house for the same price, but it's better quality. It's not in Bolton, it's in Nelson, for example. So this is what we have today learned. It's called gazumping. Okay? Um, and why is this thing haram? Why is why is you entering upon the transaction of the other haram? Why is it haram? Okay? You bring, yes, hatred, undercutting. Uh, so, from what we mentioned last week, from what Sheikh Uthaymin mentioned, uh, one of the things that will end up happening is this feeling of undercutting that so-and-so undercut me, and then you're going to have this hatred. That's okay, that's one thing. This feeling that someone's done me over, right? Uh, I, he, he tricked me, he duped me, right? That's one feeling. Like you feel tricked, you feel hurt. But a Muslim brother has hurt you. Secondly, anything else? What other harms could this result in? What other harms, huh? Boycotting? Yes, so let's put that under the first category, right? You feel that you've been duped. You feel that you've been tricked. Sorry? Oppression? Again, the broad category... Let's make the first category a broad category. Second harm that it may result in. There you go. It may just end up, you, you're going to cause your Muslim brother to re feel regret. You make him feel regret. Oh, I could have gone so and so. so on. I, I could have gone to such and such a shop and purchased it at a cheaper price. So you've entered regret into the heart of your Muslim brother. Entering regret into the heart of your Muslim brother is not allowed. Third thing. Third thing. Related to the customer now. He may do something that is wrong. He may do something that is a bit naughty. 
No, that will enter into the first. That will enter into the first. Typical Bradford man, right? <laughs> right? No, it's done now. Business is done and uh, dealt with. Something else. Number one. Oh, number one, a broad category, right? The broad category of feeling deceived and duped and now hatred and malice and boycotting and a bit of fighting perhaps enters and, right? All of that facade. That's the first category. Second category is regret. You regret the qadr of Allah. Third category is now the customer doing something that's a bit naughty. He may put a defect in the product, right? He may put a defect in there and then go back to the businessman, to the salesman and say, listen, you tricked me. There's this defect in the product. I want a refund. There wasn't any defect. You put it in there. So these are the type of uh, results that may occur as a result of mother, as a result of uh, entering upon the business transactions of others. Tamam. So that's the uh, end of our revision of the first part of Sheikh Abdul Muhsin's explanation. Next, the Messenger والسلام, he said, But be, O slaves of Allah, as Muslims, uh, as brothers. Al Muslim, Akhul Muslim. The Muslim is the brother of the Muslim. He does not oppress him, he does not betray him, he does not lie to him, and he does not look down upon him. So the Messenger in this middle part within this hadith, he mentions four things by way of example. That the Muslim does not do, and if he does so, then it's a deficiency in his iman. He says, You should be, O slaves of Allah, as brothers. Meaning, we should be like brothers are. We should be with each other like brothers are. Brothers love each other, brothers defend each other, brothers support each other. A blood brother would love for his brother what he loves for himself, he backs him up. Be like brothers between yourselves. And then the Messenger والسلام, he emphasized this again by saying Al-Muslim Akhul Muslim. The Muslim is the brother of the Muslim. They are like brothers. Just like brothers. Family brothers. Blood, blood brothers are. That is how the Muslim is. In fact, the bond between the brothers in Islam it is stronger than the brothers of blood, right? The brother, the al-imaniya, brotherhood that is based upon iman, is stronger and more permanent than al-ukhuwah al-tiniya, than blood brotherhood, brotherhood that is based upon the fact that you're from the same, same father or the same grandfather. That brotherhood is, 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 is stronger and it's more permanent. It's more permanent. Because in the afterlife, all other relationships will be cut off. All other relationships will be finished. The only relationship on that day that shall exist is the relationship of Iman. The relationship based upon Taqwa. And thus Allah has said in his book, 
those people that were close friends on that day, uh, th those people that were close friends in this dunya, in this world, those akhilla, those close friends on Yom Al Qiyamah will be enemies to each other. Then Allah made the exception. Except for the pious ones, except for the people of taqwa. So at the end of the day, our family members, they are dear to us. Our brothers, our sisters, our cousins, they are, they are dear to us. However, something, we fulfill their rights. However, something that is much more dear to you, and it has much more benefit to you, and will bring about more returns to you, is the investment that you make in the brotherhood of Iman. When you make that investment that you love your Muslim brother, even though he comes from a different family, even though he comes from a different ethnic background, even though he's brought up in a different land, but the connection between you, the love between you was Iman, and that brotherhood, its benefits, its returns are, are such that you're not, you're not only reaping them in this life, but they'll carry on into the permanent life. Into the afterlife, the everlasting eternal life. Tamam. So, uh, Ikhwan, what's the plan? We are going to continue after Salah? Ten minutes? Okay. Tamam. We'll continue ten minutes. Tamam. And then the Messenger, alayhi salatu salam, he then said, La yadhlimuhu wa la The Muslim, he does not oppress his Muslim brother. He does not oppress his Muslim brother and he does not betray him he does not betray him how do you betray your Muslim brother that your Muslim brother was in need of your help Sheikh Abdul Masni says your Muslim brother was in need of your help you had the ability to help him but you abandoned him an example of that, an example of that, is an example that Shaykh Uthaymeen, he gives, that somebody is oppressing your Muslim brother in your presence. Somebody is oppress oppressing your Muslim brother in your presence by saying something about him, saying something about him, which, would, uh, which is a form of oppression. Either khiba or namima, either he is, backbiting him or he's tail carrying and what have you he's oppressing him you sit there and rather than defending him rather than protecting his honor what do you end up doing you end up increasing upon it so you say yes he's like this and he's like that as well yes you're right someone someone's backbiting your muslim brother and then you you increase upon it that there is you betraying your Muslim brother. That there is you, betraying your Muslim brother. And the one, that Muslim brother of yours that deserves your defense of him more than anybody else from amongst those people that deserve your defense of them are the, are the ulama, are the scholars. The ulama eating their flesh is not like eating the flesh of an ordinary person. 
the ulama eating their flesh, it is considered poisonous. The harm that it's going to bring about to you. Once you start eating away at the flesh of the ulama, is much more disastrous and is, that, is much more greater than the harm that is brought about upon you as a result of you backbiting an ordinary Muslim. And therefore, when the ulama are slandered, when the ulama uh, uh, taunts are made against them, or a tanakus is made of them, they are belittled, right? Little slight underhands, huh? little mockery of them and belittling of them and uh, taqseer of their hukuk, uh, belittling their rights, mocking them, making them look insignificant. Or oh, so-and-so, yeah, he's a sheikh, yeah. He was a secondary school teacher, however, right? Dropping those type of statements concerning the ulama. On the, on the outside, a person may think, oh, what's wrong with it? He was just saying that he was a secondary school teacher. Uh, but the context that you mention it in, the way that you mentioned it, it was a way of belittling that scholar. Like he wasn't a scholar. He was just a secondary school teacher. That type of thing is worse than you belittling a Muslim brother of yours. So if somebody is doing that, the point is, if somebody is doing that in your presence, then, then upon you is to defend him. And at the very least, don't increase upon that. Don't increase upon the belittlement of that scholar. And then the Messenger, alayhi salatu wasalam, he said, Those type of statements are generally made again uh, because the person has what you call ulterior motives, right? They have ulterior motives. So, uh, uh, for example, when you find people saying that uh, turning to the ulama that live in the East, turning to the ulama of Saudi, of Masr, of Yemen, and Turning to the ulama of the East uh, is not really wise. We, sh we should have a body of scholars and we should turn to the people that are scholars here in the West. Okay? And then you, you analyze, right? What type of uh, incentive and what what's the motive behind his statement? He says the ulama, he says because we here, we have to live around homosexuals, right? We here, we have to have neighbors that are atheists. So this person who makes this statement, he's coming from the West and he's justifying it. And now look how he's justifying it. He's saying, because we have homosexual neighbors, we have uh, uh, university lecturers that are uh, atheists. We, we, live around these, so we live around these people and therefore we know better how to deal with these things, right? We know better. Uh, who, who said that you have to live amongst those people in order for you to be able to be qualified in giving a fatwa? There's no sharp, there's no condition that's been placed within the principles of Islamic law that you have to live amongst a disbelieving sinful people in order to give Islamic verdicts that are relevant to that, that are relevant to your interactions with disbelieving people, your interactions with people of, of Fisk and Fujur. So that type of statement, you look at the context when the statement is made, the statement that uh, the ulama, they don't know our condition. That type of statement, when it's made by an individual, with that type of justification, he justifies it because the ulama don't know the waqi' of our society, then you know that it's, a, a, it's false and it's not true. 
and that there is an ulterior motive behind it. And what's the ulterior motive? The ulterior motive is to, is to take away the people essentially from the ulama, the true ulama, and to attach, the, attach them to the charlatans that exist within the Western society, right? Because the person, the people that you find making these type of statements are the very, are the very same type of people that you find saying or that you find making colossal mistakes in aqeedah, grave mistakes in aqeedah, right? For example, you find the person saying that ya'juj wal ma'juj don't exist, right? The person who made this type of statement that the ulama, they don't know what's happening here in the Western world, this same type of person is saying that ya'juj wal ma'juj don't exist. The same type of person is saying that shaking the hand of a Muslim, uh, shaking the hand of a female, of a woman is okay as long as there's no shahwa involved, right? These, these, these type of people are essentially on borderline of the Qur'aniyun, the borderline of the hadith rejectors, right? These people like Yasir Qadir, what have you. He is the one that made this statement. He is the one that made, made this statement. That before I had a certain mindset when I was studying in Medina and what have you, and then when I came here, and then my mindset changed. Why did your mindset change? Because you left the ulama, those people that were supervising a master's thesis, like Sheikh, like the ulama that were like Sheikh Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahab al Aqil and others, you left those ulama after you became influenced by your other mashayikh, your other shaykh. Amongst your shaykh was Tony Blair. So once you became influenced by these type of people, then yes, you became a person who wanted to detach the Western society from the ulama. Why? Not because the ulama didn't have a comprehensive understanding of your society. No, it's because you had a problem with the aqidah. You had a problem with the belief, the creed. You had a problem with the manhaj of those ulama. That's your problem. Your problem wasn't actually the, the fact that the ulama had little knowledge about Western society. Because yes, that, that is a principle within Islamic law. Al-hukum ala shay'in far'un an tasawwurihi. That's a principle within Islamic law. To pass a judgment concerning a certain matter, to give a ruling concerning a certain matter, that is something that occurs after a person has a comprehensive picture concerning the, the scenario. A person, the scholar, he has a comprehensive picture about the matter, about the issue, then he issues a verdict. So that is a principle within Islamic law. However, this is them placing that particular principle in a place where it doesn't, where it's not, where it's not, where, it, where, where, where it's not required, where it's not befitting. The people they want to make tanakus of the ulama and they want to uh, 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 portray the ulama in a in a in a less manner, in a belittled manner, in order to take the people away from them. That's the reason why they do it. When they make statements like this, then be cautious. When you hear a person saying, "Oh, the sheikh he doesn't really know what's happening," the ulama don't really know. What's happening, on the most part, on the most part, it's most likely going to be the case because he, he has a problem with the actual verdict of the sheikh. It's not the fact that the sheikh doesn't have uh, tasawwar of the issue. He has tasawwar. He has good tasawwar of it, better than you do. But, you, but your problem is the actual verdict of the sheikh. The actual verdict of the sheikh. What's the proof of that? Because then they'll run away to other ulama that genuinely don't have a comprehensive picture of the reality 
and they'll try and snatch a verdict from them. Right? So for example, from the ulama that do have an intricate uh, 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 awareness of the da'wah in the gharb, in the western world, our ulama that have, uh, have had a long-standing connection with tulab from the west, like Sheikh Rabi', Sheikh Ubaid al-Jabri, right? These ulama for a period of 20, 25 years have had an ongoing, constant connection with the da'wah in the west. So when they give a verdict concerning issues of da'wah related to the west, then they are giving it based upon comprehensive tasawwur, based upon comprehensive uh, tasawwur, comprehensive tasawwur, tasawwur, uh, information and right, envisaging it and what have you, okay? Now, if you go to another scholar who has had no connection with the Western world, right? And perhaps his caliber as well of an alim is not the same as Sheikh Ubaid and Sheikh Rabi'i. You go to him and get a verdict from him concerning the da'wah in the West. And, and you leave Sheikh Rabi'i and Sheikh Ubaid and that shows what? You have ulterior motives. You're not genuine. Right? You have ulterior motives and you're not happy with the verdict of ulama like Sheikh Rabi'i and Sheikh Ubaid. Concerning da'wah in the Western world. I'm not too sure if that helps. Well, I'm not sure if that helps.